there's so much health advice floating around, online, among friends. But who can you really trust? Trust the experts. Listen to the world's brightest medical minds, our very own Cleveland Clinic experts. We ask them real questions, tough and intimate health questions, and we get real answers, all originally recorded live. Hi, thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Nada Youssef. And today I am back with the one and only Dr. Mark Hyman. Hello. <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> Dr. Mark Hyman is the director of Cleveland Clinic Center for Functional Medicine. He's also the 11th time number one New York Times bestselling author and an internationally recognized leader, speaker, educator, and advocate in his field. And today we will cover a whole hour talking about the ketogenic diet. For those who don't know, it is a strict nutrition plan that is fat, that is high in fat, moderate in low protein, and very low in carbs. So before we begin, please remember this is for informational purposes only and it's not intended to replace your own physician's advice. So thank you so much for coming back. I'm so <laughs> glad to be here. Hey everybody. So let's talk about the ketogenic <clears throat> diet. What, it, what, what is it and how did it start? Well, the ketogenic diet has been around for a long time and uh, it's typically been used in neurology to treat epilepsy or seizures that don't respond to anything else. Mm -hmm. So when nothing else works, they put children or adults on a very high fat diet so the body burns fat instead of carbohydrates. And that's extremely effective for treatment resistant epilepsy. It's a hard diet to do. And recently it's been increasingly used in other medical conditions. And it's also kind of caught the popular imagination and people are using it who don't have medical conditions. So there's a whole range of people now using it and we can talk about the pros and cons of all that. Great, all right, well I kinda wanna talk about the food pyramid, what we had, mm. and how it kind of flipped everything around. So what are we looking at right here? <laughs> well, you're not looking at us because we're hiding behind <laughs> we're, we have, We have a uh, here. <laughs> you know, the uh, interesting thing was uh, in the 60s uh, and the 50s, there was a doctor named Ansel Keys who was a scientist who concluded that fat was evil, that <laughs> it caused obesity, that it had more calories than carbs, and that it actually also led to heart disease. Mm. And so the research on that was only cause and effect, um, sorry, the research on that was only showing correlation, not cause and effect. And so the assumption was made based on relatively weak data hmm. that fat was the enemy. And in fact, scientists related to him that were also in the field at the time, Dr. Hexted and Dr. Stair at Harvard, were funded by the sugar industry to write a report in the New England Journal of Medicine that said, Sugar's fine, fat's bad. And then the guy who was the author of that paper was paid by the sugar industry. He ended up being the guy who ran our first dietary guidelines, which told us to eat less fat and eat more carbs. That turned into the food pyramid, which was looking like this. Yeah. <laughs> eat fats and oils only sparing. In fact, except, except fats and oils were only at the top here. It wasn't even that much. It was like a tiny little bit. So the idea was to eat six to 11 servings of bread, rice, cereal, and pasta every day. Now, at this point in our culture, we understand that seven or 11 servings of bread or pasta is not a health food. And yet that was what our government told us in the 1992 food pyramid, which correlated exactly with the increase in obesity and type two diabetes in America and around the world, because the whole world took on this dietary guidelines advice. And that has really led to our current crisis of obesity and carbs were thought to be helpful and fat was thought to be harmful. And then we now have actually increased the sophistication of our nutritional research. We've had much more data, many more studies, and it's really clear that fat is not the enemy. In fact, uh, according to the 2015 US Dietary Guidelines, they removed any limit on fat. They used to eat less than 30% of your diet is fat or 35% of your calories is fat. And, and if you were, for example, having heart disease, they recommended even greater restrictions. Some people said less than 10% of your diet is fat. And the US government, based on the advice of experts in the Dietary Guidelines Committee, concluded that the evidence for that was not there and that the evidence that fat was harmful wasn't there and that we needed to actually change our guidelines. So the new guidelines have no upper limit on total fat in your diet, none. Um, and they also say to reduce refined sugars and reduce refined carbohydrates. They also 
eliminated any restriction on dietary cholesterol because they found it wasn't linked to heart disease. So all of our past advice is still haunting us, and mm -hmm. there's still many low-fat products on the market. There's still low-fat yogurt, which basically has more sugar per ounce than a can of soda. And, uh, and we have this meme where people are still having egg white omelets and skim milk, and unfortunately, it's, it's not matching the science. So this food pyramid has really led to a crisis in our society and a crisis in our economy because of the burden of chronic disease. One in three Medicare dollars are spent on type 2 diabetes. We, <laughs> we are seeing you know, one in two Americans with pre-diabetes or type 2 diabetes. 90% of people with pre-diabetes are not even diagnosed. Maybe up to a quarter of people with type 2 diabetes are also not diagnosed. So this is a huge problem. And the, the dietary guidelines have shifted, but I think our, our beliefs have not. And I think people are still enamored with diets that are low in fat. Now, it's changing, and there's a whole movement around paleo and ketogenic diets, which I think is concerning in some ways because it's, it sort of misses the bigger picture, and we're going to talk about that. And even when you look at the, our SAD <laughs> diet, um, that's what the plate is, is yes, this is like our right new, now. This is our new improved new, right. guidelines, which I think is an improvement for sure. Uh, but it's interesting how it talks about protein, but not carbs or fat, and then it talks about fruit and grains dairy, uh, fruit. and dairy, and it doesn't say what kind of vegetables. So you could be eating potatoes. You could be eating white flour. You could be eating, you know, um, various kinds of protein and cereal. And cereal, <laughs> and it's not really necessarily healthy. In fact, dairy. The U.S. dietary guidelines t tell us to drink three glasses of milk a day as an adult and two glasses as a kid to be healthy. There's no evidence for that. In fact, <clears throat> the government, the Congress, based on the work of a number of people, was. Um, asking the National Academy of Sciences, give them a million dollars to review our dietary guidelines process. And they found that a lot of the recommendations were not based on good evidence, that they ignored large amounts of evidence about, for example, low carbohydrate diets, about saturated fat, and that they had undue influence from the industry. For example, the dairy industry is linked into the dietary guidelines process through various people on the committee who are involved with the dairy industry's consultants or on boards or other, other things. So we have a corrupt system where we're seeing dietary guidelines that actually don't match the science. In fact, you know those Got Milk ads, they were funded in part by taxpayer dollars along with the Dairy Council, and eventually they were taken off the air and out of magazines because the Federal Trade Commission that governs truth in marketing basically said there is no evidence got proof instead of got milk <laughs> and there was no evidence that it protects against bone loss that it helps kids grow be healthy that it's necessary for all the things that they said it was good for in fact it may not be it may increase the risk of fractures increase risk of cancer increase the risk of gut issues autoimmune diseases and many other things so we are now sort of moving towards a more scientifically whole and and uh, and, and scientifically rigorous review of our diet and our guidelines, which hopefully will happen in, in the 2020 guidelines. And correct me if I'm wrong, you've mentioned if you wean your baby off of breast milk, there's no need to go no. to any kind I mean, of milk, there, right? there's, I mean, we're the <laughs> only species that feeds our kids milk after weaning yeah. that's a mammal. Uh, in fact, there's, there's no biological requirement for dairy or milk. Some populations do well with it, uh, but the truth is that milk we eat now is not traditional milk. It's not Right. right from the cow. It's not unpasteurized. It's not unhomogenized. It's not raw milk, which is traditionally what we've eaten for thousands and thousands of years. Yeah, there were risks for that, and you got all kinds of diseases, which is why Louis Pasteur developed pasteurization. That's been a good thing in some ways, but uh, it's clear that our current milk is not the milk it used to be. There was a study, for example, done in the UK where they looked at milk that was homogenized versus milk that was not homogenized. And you think, what's the difference? It's just not separated. But in fact, the homogenized milk had really bad effects on cholesterol, whereas the unhomogenized milk did not, which is fascinating because it's the same amount of milk. It's milk. It's the same thing. But the way it's processed and refined in a way that's, that's sort of um, changed the structure of the milk has a profound effect on your metabolism and your biology. So I think we, we kind of have to think about these dietary guidelines, this, this, this sort of my plate, as an improvement, but not necessarily what we need to get to. I want to talk about cheese, because I know cheese is a big thing with ketogenic diet. Is cheese okay to eat the, with the ketogenic well, diet? Well, um, cheese is not, necessary, is not necessarily essential for a ketogenic diet. Okay. You can do a vegan ketogenic diet. You can do a dairy-free ketogenic diet. 
a lot of the fat may come from dairy in some ketogenic diets, but it's not essential. And I don't think it's, it's, it's a good idea in, in, in most cases to use a lot of dairy, especially our modern dairy, which is full of hormones, pesticides, antibiotics, and it's not necessarily health food. Right. So I, I think uh, you can use uh, healthy dairy, and if you can use grass-fed dairy, great. If you can use dairy without hormones and antibiotics, great. If you can use goat and sheep, probably even better. Yeah. Uh, and there's certain goat and sheep cheese that are better. I think th those are fine. You can use raw milk cheese from sheep or goat. Those are allowed. Okay. Now I want to kind of jump in and talk a little bit about ketosis, what it is, and how to get there. Okay. So why? Why? What is this whole thing about ketosis? Why? Why is it relevant? Well, biology is very smart. So we as humans have adapted to starvation. We have hundreds of genes that help us adapt to starvation. And historically, what would happen is we would have periods of abundance and periods of scarcity. So we're really good at that. So we, if we found a patch of berries or a bunch of wild fruit, we would just munch down on that stuff. We'd store it all up for the winter. And then you know we would put it in our bellies and have belly fat. And that was a good thing. And then we'd go through periods where they were kind of lean times mm -hmm. and there wasn't enough food. And so our bodies can shift from carbohydrate metabolism to fat metabolism. So you have two fuel sources. You have a backup fuel source. So it's like having a, like a, a Prius. You have your gas engine and you have your electric engine, right? <laughs> so we, we can adapt. Now, when we went into ketosis, a whole series of things happened that were pretty interesting. They were all about increasing health. Uh, so they s sort of affected your body in a beneficial way. When you see the body switch from burning glucose to burning ketones, which is what fat produces in the body, mm -hmm. a number of interesting things happen. One, your metabolism speeds up. Two, your hunger goes away. Three, you turn on the ability of the fat cells to release fat and burn fat. So it increases fat burning, whereas carbohydrates actually shut off carbs. Mm -hmm. Carbs shut off fat burning. It literally locks the fat in your fat cells. And when I mean carbs, I don't mean like broccoli, which is a carb. In fact, the truth is that even if you're on a ketogenic diet, a lot of your diet can be carbs, which is vegetables. Right. All vegetables are carbs, right? So uh, it depends on the quality and the type of carbohydrate that matters. So when you when you look at your diet, you, you have a ketogenic diet, it actually increases muscle mass, it increases fat burning, it cuts your hunger, it may stimulate all kinds of beneficial effects in the body to reduce inflammation. So there's really profound benefits to it. In fact, it's the opposite of what you think. If you're eating a diet that's 60 or 70 or 80% fat, it actually uh, should worsen your heart disease risk profile. But it turns out it doesn't. In a re review of a uh, study looking at over 260 patients, they found that out of 26 cardiovascular risk factors, 22 out of 26 improved, like the type of cholesterol you have, your triglycerides, your HDL, your blood sugar, your blood pressure, your insulin, your inflammation levels, all those things improved, whereas the control group, none of them improved. So it's, it's actually contradictory in your mind because most people think of fat as causing worsening heart disease, worsening cardiac risk factors. And so it's really important to think about that. Yeah. Okay. Now with ketosis, how long does it take to get to ketosis if you start a ketogenic diet? Well, when you switch and, and what it is essentially is a 60 to 70 to 80% fat diet, mm -hmm. probably 5% of carbs or less, and 20 or so percent protein. It's not a high-protein diet. Mm -hmm. People think of Atkins and paleo. If you eat a lot of protein, protein can convert to sugar in the body, which is not necessarily what you want. So it's mostly fat. In fact, a ketogenic diet was the diet developed by Jocelyn, Dr. Jocelyn, for which the Jocelyn Diabetes Center at Harvard is named. And his approach to treating diabetes was... 70% fat, you know, basically 25% protein and 5% carbs. That was the treatment of the day before there was insulin because they couldn't, these people had a disease of carbohydrate intolerance for diabetes. So it's very powerful. And I think um, the, the uh, ketogenic diet helps you to switch into a different type of metabolism, which helps protect against diabetes and other things. Now, when you do the ketogenic diet, there's a lot of talk about- And your about question is, how long does it take to adapt yeah, to it? Sorry, yeah, it can take It can take up to about three or four weeks to really switch over. You've literally oh, got to switch awesome. your engine over. Oh. And you have to do it right. And if you don't do it right, you'll end up with what they call a keto flu, which is just a weak and tired and dizzy. It's because when you, when you stop eating a lot of starch and sugar, your insulin levels drop, which is a good thing, and insulin makes you retain water and retain salt. 
And so you will lose a lot of water, a lot of salt. You can get low blood pressure, you can get dizzy, you can get achy, you lose magnesium. So making sure you have plenty of salt, plenty of water, lots of magnesium can help prevent that. Good, good. Now, when, when we do the ketogenic diet, there's a lot of talk about macros. Can you tell me what they are and why they're needed? Sure, but I think you know, it might be good to go back a little bit sure. and talk about who this is good for. Oh, yeah, definitely. Go because I, I think, you know, right now it's a popular craze in the culture. If you look on Amazon, the top books are all ketogenic diets in yeah. terms of diet books, and everybody's doing it. This is a therapeutic diet. It's not for everybody. It's for very specific indications and it can be extremely beneficial for those indications, but it's not for everybody. So what are those reasons that you would think about doing a ketogenic diet? One is if you are type two diabetic, uh, there's great evidence that you can reverse up to 60% of type two diabetes in a year. The average weight loss in the study where they looked at this was 12% or 30 pounds. They had 100% of people get off the main diabetes medication, which is called the oral hypoglycemics, and 96% got off insulin or dramatically reduced their insulin. So this is a powerful intervention for, for type 2 diabetes. Now, there are other therapies that can work. There are other diets that can work. For example, calorie-restricted diet, protein-sparing modified fast, and other things can be helpful, but those are not easy to sustain. You're on a calorie-restricted diet. It's not fun. You're on a protein-modified fast, which is a shake, so you're not going to live on that your whole life. So there's real indications for a ketogenic diet and metabolic disease. Uh, if you're morbidly obese, if you have insulin resistance without type 2 diabetes, it can be very helpful as a short-term strategy to help you reset your metabolism. It doesn't have to be forever. Uh, clearly for epilepsy, it's standard of care for treatment-resistant epilepsy. There are other neurologic conditions where they're seeing improvements and benefits. For example, there's research on brain cancer, glioblastoma, and ketogenic diets. There's research on autism showing it's very effective treatment for autism. Alzheimer's, I've personally seen many Alzheimer's patients dramatically improve on ketogenic diets. And, and so it's, it's not for everyone, but it can be extremely powerful for those who, who want to use it. And by the way, many people uh, may not do well on a ketogenic diet. So mm -hmm. it's, it's very individualized. There's no one size fits all diet. It's like our traditional state for history has been ketogenic. Yes, we would flip in and out of ketosis as hunter-gatherers, but the key is in and out. We're not constantly on this for our life. Now, there are some people who can sustain it for decades, and I, I know those people, and they do well. There's other people who don't do well on it. So you have to look at your own biology, your own numbers, the way you feel, your metabolism, and really personalize the approach. Sure. Okay, and then back to <clears throat> macros, because I know a lot of people start counting macros, so I kind of want to talk about what macros are, and um, should we be counting them? Macros are basically protein, fat, and carbs, and there's also fiber in food and calories. Now, the quality is what matters. Yes. People want to count carbs, but you know you could have a uh, great ratio of protein, fat, and carbs, but it could all be from French fries mm -hmm. and refined vegetables that's deep fried in, and gross feedlot hamburgers, and you know potatoes, <laughs> like the, right. So you could have plenty of the right ratios of protein, fat, and carb, but it can be from very poor quality food. The key is quality, and if you focus on quality, you will get results. If you get rid of the junk and eat whole foods, if you eat unrefined foods, meaning foods in as natural state as possible, a carb can be a you know buckwheat grain or it can be white flour. Those are both carbs, they're both grains, but they have very different effects on your body. Okay. You can eat a white starchy potato as a vegetable or you can eat broccoli and they have profoundly effect different effects on your biology. You can eat wild salmon and wild fish and sardines or you can eat a uh, feedlot beef which is not great for you or the environment or the animal. So you really want to focus on quality and, and the right approach. Now the number of proteins, fats, and carbs you eat really depends on your own health and your own biology. For example, for myself, if I eat no carbs, I will lose too much weight and it won't be good for me. I need a little bit. That's my metabolism. Other people who, for example, are type 2 diabetic, morbidly obese, they do phenomenal on these diets. Mm -hmm. And we see dramatic results of in three weeks or even in three days reversing type 2 diabetes, getting them off their insulin, off their medications. Uh, it's very impressive. So. We have to be smart about how we do it. We have to do it I advisedly with a doctor or, or a health professional who understands this, who knows how to follow you and can treat you. But it's, it's a very effective therapeutic diet for many people. Now, can we talk a little bit about blood ketones? Is that how you measure ketones yeah, in your body? Yeah, so there's, there's two kinds of ketosis. Most people think of ketosis, and when I was in medical school, you learn about ketoacidosis, which right. is when you have very high levels of ketones. 
you're a type one diabetic, it's a life-threatening condition, and it's very dangerous. Mm -hmm. um, however, what we're talking about here is nutritional ketosis, which is a very low level of ketones, and, and that helps to stimulate your metabolism, cut your appetite, release fat from the fat cells, improve your, your immune system, and it's, um, it's done by measuring, like a blood sugar stick, a finger stick, what your ketone levels are. And it should be between you know, 0.5 and 1.5, typically is what, what you'd want to get. And you can get those machines at a drugstore, uh, and it takes a minute to sometimes get into that for people. But it's a very powerful tool for people who are struggling with any kind of serious metabolic or neurologic conditions. Do you do it right after you eat? Or do you, you do it in the fasting? morning. Oh, you, do in the morning? Yeah, you do it in the morning, but you can check it any time because okay. if you want, and you know, people kind of pop in and out or go up and down depending on what's right. going on. But in this study that I was talking to you about, there was an, in a year there were eighty-three percent of people were adhering to the diet because they measured their ketones and they were able to corroborate the fact that they were in ketosis. It wasn't just oh, I I did the diet, but a lot of people say they do what they did. They actually don't, um, and so this is a way of validating that people are able to adhere to it, that it's effective, and that uh, they validated their results by measuring. Okay, now I'm gonna talk about some kind of confusion with ketos and myths and things like <clears> that. <throat> Atkins diet, I hear a lot about the comparison about Atkins yeah. or modified Atkins diet. Yeah, Atkins keto. is not necessarily the same thing. Yeah. Atkins is tons of steaks and protein, and, uh, and it, it has a similar effect in reducing insulin, but high protein loads are not necessarily great for us, and also they're not great for the environment, and also they're not great for animals, and also they uh, transform the protein into glucose in the body mm -hmm. when you eat excess protein. So it's called gluconeogenesis, which means making sugar from nothing, basically, and it's making sugar from protein as opposed to from eating carbs. And so it's not an Atkins diet. Also, Atkins is high. You can have processed meats and bacon and I, I, lots of dairy. I, I, I'm not a huge fan of, of the Atkins diet from that perspective. There's a modified Atkins, which is a sort of a new and improved Atkins, yeah. which is slightly better. But I think it's, it's very different than an Atkins diet. Now, you talked a little bit about too much protein. I want to talk about too much excessive fat. So if I'm in the absence of glucose, I'm on ketosis and I'm eating fat, how much of that is is too much? Is my body storing? Is, is it first yeah. of all, is it burning the the the, the stored fat or yeah. the dietary fat that I'm eating? How do I know how much? Yeah. Fat I'm well, you have this great graph of the insulin. You want to pull that up because oh, yeah. I think you know most, most people don't understand the biology. Now, this is just basic biochemistry, and here's the deal: when you eat carbs, you increase insulin. When you eat protein, you can also increase insulin. Mm -hmm. When you eat fat, insulin doesn't go up, and you need insulin to store fat. You need insulin to store fat. So for example, if you take a type one diabetic, these people's pancreas are completely done. They're not making any insulin. These people can eat 10,000 calories a day. They're starving because they, the food is not getting in their cells and they're actually losing weight, mm. eating 10,000 calories a day because insulin is required to actually store fat to store your body fat. The word for fat in the diet and the word for fat on your body are the same word. They probably shouldn't be, and they're different. Mm -hmm. So eating carbs makes you fat, eating fat makes you thin. Which <laughs> I wrote this book called Eat Fat, Get Thin. It's right. about this biology. And, and so when you, when you cut down the carbs and you eat fat, you're not spiking insulin, so you don't store fat. And you, don't, you can't store fat in the absence um, of carbs and insulin. It's very, you just burn it. Uh, and you burn your own fat, and you burn the fat and turns into ketones, which is a very effective and efficient metabolic fuel. It's a very clean burning fuel. Think of it as diesel or as sort of super jet fuel. You know, the, the ketones are like jet fuel, whereas you know carbs are like dirty diesel. And I think I think you you basically have to use the biology to understand what's happening here. But getting off of the starch and sugar will help drop the insulin. Your fat won't get stored. And I, I, honestly, if I eat too much fat and not enough carbs, I will lose too much weight. In fact, this one study on animals was fascinating. They put the animals on a, a very high-fat diet, very, very low-carb, versus a high-carb, low-fat diet. Yeah. And they measured everything. It was fascinating. They had to keep increasing the calories in the high-fat group so that they wouldn't lose weight. And then when they open them up and they try to keep them the same weight, when they open them up, and I don't know people don't like animal studies, but it's very instructive. When they open them up, the ones who were eating the high carb diet, the rats or the mice, their belly was just full of fat. 
and the ones who were eating the fat had no body fat, and they had increased muscle mass and a faster metabolism. Really? Really. Oh, that's, that's, we've, been, we've been lied to. <laughs> so we I wanna, have been. Yes. Not on purpose. Everybody thought they were doing it. Nobody's trying to make anybody sick, but I think yeah. we, just, we, we, we made assumptions based on weak science, and now we have better science. Yeah, yeah. Now we can do better. Now, can I just take ketone supplements to induce ketosis? So there's a whole market out there now for ketone supplements, or what we call exogenous ketones. So you can take a pill or powder and actually boost your ketone levels. Um, I don't think all the data is in on that. I think it does suppress insulin, which can help you lose weight and help in some ways. But we don't know if having natural ketosis or exogenous ketones really is, is the way to go. And it would be nice to be able to take a pill. There is a hack or trick for example, using MCT oil, which is a medium-chain triglycerides, a special type of fat, comes from coconut, and it's used uh, in a lot of elemental foods for people who can't digest anything because it goes right into, the, right into the bloodstream as opposed to into the lymphatic circulation like most fat, and it has to get burned. It stimulates your mitochondria. It increases metabolism, helps reverse insulin resistance, helps increase cognitive function and brain function. Your brain loves ketones. It says, oh, you need... 25% of your diet and glucose goes to your brain, yes, but it actually works better on ketones. And I see this over and over, whether it's me or Alzheimer's patients or autistic patients or epilepsy patients. Their brain just gets much sharper and clearer. Can we talk a little bit about the side effects? I know we talked a little bit about the keto flu, but what about acetone breath? I've heard... Well, yeah, you, you can get bad breath because the, yeah. Yeah, the, the acetone breath can happen. Um, the, the constipation can happen if you're not eating fiber. So the problem is when you have too much fat and not enough fiber, which usually comes from plant foods. And by the way, you can eat a lot of plant foods on a ketogenic diet. Mm -hmm. And you can be vegan keto too, by the way. And I have a friend who's a type one diabetic who's vegan keto and her blood sugars are better than mine. Wow. And you know, she's type one diabetic, it's pretty impressive. Um, it, that it, you, know, you actually have to um, regulate your, your symptoms by, by doing it the right way. So for example, you need more fiber which you can take as a supplement, resistant starch, uh, things like plantain flour, acacia flour, other flowers, other, other things can be very effective in actually building the microbiome which you need, yeah. which can be damaged sometimes with a very high-fat high diet. So having enough fiber, enough plant foods, it's really building the science of how to create a healthy approach to a ketogenic diet, which I think we're still evolving. Okay, I wanna talk about some of the things that people might be doing, they're on the keto diet and they're not losing any weight. Um, you know, like the body actually not being on ketosis because you said yep. it, it takes a few weeks yeah. and, and the carb level has to be really, really low to get onto ketosis, correct? Yeah. Um, and then eating too much in general, not eating enough. I've heard people that actually fast or like intermittent fast while doing keto. Is that a thing? Uh, there is a, yeah, you can do intermittent fastings. For example, you can have nothing between, you know, um, uh, you, you can, sorry, eat between an eight hour window, let's say from noon to eight or 11 to seven. If you fast for 16 and eat during eight hours, that's a way to also do very similar things to a ketogenic diet without actually having to do a ketogenic diet. But you, you have to eat high quality food. You can't just eat whatever you want. So it's like, oh, you eat whatever you want on intermittent fasting. Not necessarily. We see the metabolic effects are not great when you do that. So it's important to eat a healthy whole foods diet if you're doing intermittent fasting. But it can actually achieve a lot of the same benefits, and you can combine them. You can also do cyclical ketogenic, which is where you go in and out of it, and there's some evidence that that might be better, just like we did historically. But it really is, is personal. I think you have to really look at what happens when the individual does the program and who's the right person to do it. It's not for everybody. It's a therapeutic diet. It's a medical diet. I don't recommend everybody go on it. I think it's important for those patients who need it. The truth is, though, many patients and people in America will benefit because, like I said, one and two is pre-diabetic or type 2 diabetic, and those are the ideal patients for this. Can you talk a little bit about the cyclical keto diet? Yeah, so, so the idea is that, is that um, historically, as hunter-gatherers, we would binge and fast and binge and fast, right, because mm -hmm. it was just about food scarcity and access. So typically, carbohydrates weren't available uh, a lot of the year. In fact, you look at the, the grizzly bears, and I remember visiting uh, Admiralty Island in Alaska, which is fascinating, and it's the highest concentration of grizzlies anywhere in the world. Uh, it's kind of scary. These guys walk around with shotguns, and you stand in this little spot, and you watch the grizzlies. Right. And they're, in the beginning of the season, in early in the year, they're, they're fishing. They're eating all this uh, salmon from the rivers, and they just go in and binging on salmon. They don't gain any weight. 
when you uh, look at them towards the end of the summer, they've gained 500 pounds because they binge on berries, the, the uh, alpine berries in the summer. So they're eating all this sugar, they're binging, they're giving 500 pounds, they basically become diabetic and hypertensive, and then they go to sleep. <laughs> and they don't eat all winter. And then they burn all those stores and they start again. So the problem with us, we just keep eating all winter. So cyclical ketosis is the idea of going in and out of ketosis in a cyclical way to help mimic a more natural state and actually achieve a lot of the same benefits. So there, and there are, and there, are other, there are other diets like the 5-2 the diet, which is basically eating right. whatever you want for five days and two days not eating or restricting your calories dramatically, which stimulates all these metabolic benefits. So I think in terms of aging, in terms of metabolism, in terms of weight, in terms of cognitive function, these can be very effective approaches. And you have to find what's the right sweet spot for you. Some people do very poorly on low-carb diets. Some people do much, much better on a very high-fat diet. So it really depends on the individual. Okay, I'm going to ask you one more question, then we're going to go to our live questions. Um, how does the keto diet affect athletes and athletic performance? A lot of people, if they want to bulk up, they look at keto and they're like, oh, no, yeah. not enough carbs, not yeah. enough energy. Yeah, yeah. Well, we all, all were trained that we should carb load yes. before we go for a run or before we do exercise or before a competition. Uh, and the evidence for that was pretty weak. Uh, and the truth is you carb load, you can store 2,500 calories of carbohydrate in your muscle in the form of glycogen. But if you're doing a long endurance at, at, athlete and you're doing a long, a long uh, race or something, mm -hmm. you're going to burn through that and hit the wall, right? That's the wall. Now, if your body's burning fat, you probably have 20 or 30 or 40,000 or more calories of fat stored in your body. So if you can burn the fat, you're gonna keep, keep going like the ever-ready ever, ever bunny. And, and the other um, thing that people should know about is that there's a lot of research on this by Drs. Bolick and Finney. They wrote a book called The Art of Low Carbohydrate Performance, which debunks a lot of the myths about athletes and ketogenic diets. And there was an interesting story of a guy I read recently who was an elite athlete a mountain climber guided many, many people up Mount Everest, and he never could do it without oxygen. He would always poop out and had to use oxygen. And he decided to try a ketogenic diet. Uh, and it turns out that he actually was able to summit without oxygen using a ketogenic diet. There was another guy who, a uh, very uh, successful entrepreneur, decided he was sold his business and was going to become an elite athlete. And he rode his boat literally from Hawaii to, to, to California and go out of California to Hawaii. And he would use all these carb loader things, these goos and uh, sweet goose. things. And he ended up doing, doing blood tests after his thing. And the doctor told him he was pre-diabetic. And here's an elite athlete who's being wow. told he is pre-diabetic and he's doing all this exercise and it's not working. Uh, it turned out, you know, it, it was because of the high starch diet. Another guy I knew was another elite athlete, a doctor, Peter Atia, and you can read his stuff. He's got a great blog online, and he, he writes about his own story where he was an, another elite athlete, would swim from L.A. to Catalina Island, which is miles and miles and back, and he was overweight. He had extra body fat, and he was an elite athlete, and again, he used all these sort of carb-loading things for his performance. Turned out... Uh, he went to the doctor again and was pre-diabetic. Wow. And he changed his whole view and shifted to a diet that was super high in fat and was able to fix his diabetes, lose 30 pounds, and actually become an even better athlete. So I think there, there is evidence for short-term sprinting. You might need a little carbs, but for, for most people, I think um, you, know, you don't need to be on a high-carb diet to be an athlete. Okay, great. Are you ready for some questions from sure. our audience? Sure. All right. So I have uh, Pauline. Is the ketogenic diet safe long-term? I think there are long-term studies in epilepsy uh, and, and looking at what happens to cardiovascular risk factors and other things. Uh, I think my view is probably not uh, known yet. I think we still don't have enough people doing it over a long enough time to really say that it's effective and safe over 20 or 30 years. Mm -hmm. I, I do think as a therapeutic diet, in other words, if you're 300 pounds, if you're diabetic, it can be very effective to get your systems unstuck from the metabolic crisis it's in and put it in a healthier state. And I think that's, that's really where I would see using it. I think in Alzheimer's patients, you know, I don't really worry about long-term. I worry about how they're doing in the moment and if they're functional, if they're engaged, if their memory's better, if they're actually to be able to sort of improve their quality of life. I don't worry about long-term. But I, th I think it's really important to realize that this is a therapeutic diet. In other words, if you, if you are on blood pressure medications, and your blood pressure is high, but then you change your diet, you exercise, you lose weight, you fix everything, and your blood pressure is normal, you don't need to keep taking the 
medication. You stay in this optimal state that's created by uh, living in a healthy way. Okay, great. And just a reminder, uh, I just want to thank anybody for just uh, who just joined us right now. Remind you that this will also be recorded and will be posted afterwards on Facebook and YouTube. Um, Nancy wants to know: Is it possible to uh, live a ketogenic diet and be a pescatarian? Oh, for sure. Uh, you can be a vegan keto. You can be a pesco vegan keto. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think the challenge with fish is that uh, you know most of the fish we have today in the world is contaminated. Fish is nature's perfect food, except that we've polluted it all. It's got microplastics, heavy metals like mercury, PCBs. Um, so I would encourage people to eat small fish. I call it the smash fish, which is wild salmon, mackerel, anchovies, mm. sardines, and herring. Now, they may not be your favorite foods. <laughs> I like those fish particularly, but uh, they are extremely uh, helpful and uh, I think safe to use. Uh, and, and I think you just want to track your mercury levels and, and see what's going on. But it, it's tough. We live in a polluted world and you know it's, it's pretty frightening with microplastics now in fish. Yeah. Now, Carolyn's been on keto since April and started having hives um, and she's itchy. Could it be related? It could be. I mean, I think, you know, there are changes in your gut microbiome that happen if you're not eating enough fiber, uh, if you are uh, maybe uh, not uh, eating a lot of dairy that you're not used to, you might become allergic. So there's, there's, there's reasons why. Okay. And then Trisha wants to know if it's safe to be on keto while breastfeeding. Great question. No one's ever asked that before. Uh -huh. <laughs> but I, I think it, it can be, sure. I think uh, it absolutely can be if, if you look at uh, someone who's breastfeeding who's type 2 diabetic or who's very insulin resistant or pre-diabetes or diabetes and pregnancy, then it, it, you know, it, it probably is a good idea because the more insulin resistant you are, uh, there's worse outcomes for the baby, particularly while pregnant and then after breastfeeding, less of an effect. But I think it's important uh, to, to keep yourself healthy. Sure. And then Bethany, how do you know if you're in ketosis and what are the best tips to not get kicked out of ketosis? So again, using not the urine ketone strips, but the blood strips, which is a, like a finger stick, is the best way to know your ketosis. And there are ranges that you can tell if you're in nutritional ketosis. To not get kicked out of it is really dependent on your, your carbohydrate load. Okay. I'm going to just read a nice comment from Janice. She says, Dr. Hyman and functional medicine saved my life. It has saved my heart, kidneys, and no more diabetes too. I am no longer on medication. I have a new lease on life, and I'm recommending this program to everyone I meet. <laughs> Amazing. Well, you know, we actually had a woman come in uh, to our Functioning for Life program, and we have a functional keto program, mm -hmm. which is uh, great. It's a, it's a way for people to do this under medical supervision. Uh, the programs are filling up like crazy, yeah. and people are having great experiences. But we had a woman come the other day who was morbidly obese she had heart failure uh, within it we call an injection fraction of 35 percent should be 50 or more and mm -hmm. under 50 is not great she had type 2 diabetes for decade more on insulin she was hypertensive uh, and uh, she did this program and she came back and shared her story she started in March and in, this was in July she shared her story she not only lost 43 pounds which was I think secondary but her heart function improved. Her ejection fraction went to 35% to 54%, which wow. is medically unheard of. Yeah. Even with the best medical care, treatment, drugs, she had a reversal of her diabetes. She got off insulin in three days. Three days. Three days. <laughs> she, she normalized her blood pressure and she got off all her cardiac meds. She also had liver, liver problems, fatty liver and elevated liver function tests and also kidney function problems. She had renal insufficiency yeah. uh, and she reversed her renal insufficiency or kidney issues there went back to normal or liver went back to normal and she got off all our cardiac and kidney and diabetes medications. So it's pretty remarkable what happens when you apply this to the right person in the right situation. That's amazing. Um, Kelly, uh, how about diet sodas? Do they hurt if you're doing the keto diet? That's a great question. <laughs> I think, you know, there's a lot of debate about this issue now in the literature, but I think there's enough of a smoking gun around the role of artificial sweeteners and harming your microbiome and improving, increasing insulin resistance, increasing inflammation, uh, and increasing appetite that I, I would really stay away from, from these artificial sweeteners. A little stevia might be okay, but I would be very careful. What about, uh, what is it called, <clears throat> monk fruit? Monk fruit is a Chinese fruit mm -hmm. that has no calories and has a sweet taste, and that may be okay as well. Good, great. But again, these are things to use in moderation, like 
I'm going to have sure. monk fruit cake every day. Right, right. Um, Trisha, is keto a good option for someone who has had their gallbladder <clears throat> removed? It can be challenging if you are had your gallbladder removed, and you might need to take digestive enzymes, but there are ways to actually do a ketogenic diet if you have uh, gallbladder removed. Okay, great. And then Julie, I've been semi-strict <clears throat> for 16 weeks, uh, lost seven, uh, 16 pounds. Although I love it, why am I not losing more? Uh, some um, eight weeks have lost twice as much. I don't exercise, but started at 15 to 30 carbs. Could it be I'm not getting enough fats? Uh, no, probably not if you're checking your ketones, but it could be other things. If you're not exercising, your metabolism is you know static, you could have microbiome issues, you could have hormone issues like thyroid, you could have excess estrogen levels. There's a lot of other reasons for resistance to weight loss. I've written a lot about them in my book, particularly the blood sugar solution. So looking at other factors that affect weight other than just calories or fat or carbs. Uh -huh. And then Kristen, I'm using the Carb Manager app and have been following- Oh, by the way, one yes. other thing. Go ahead. Sometimes when people lose weight, what happens is the body stores petrochemical toxins like pesticides, ZDT, plastics, flame retardants, stores all that in your fat tissue. So when you lose weight, and this has been documented, you release these fat-soluble toxins, mm. and that can have a negative effect on your metabolism through many ways. I've written a number of articles about this, uh, toxins and obesity and how the mechanisms are. And now it's much more well understood. I wrote this article, I don't know, probably 10 years ago, but it's much more understood. And I think, I think we have to be careful and thyroid can be affected and many other things. So if you're losing weight, you need to also maybe think about detoxifying using saunas, gut detoxification, accelerating your own body's natural liver function. And so there's a lot of ways to do that that we do in functional medicine. You mentioned thyroid. Is that um, a side effect? I've read something about underactive thyroid. Yeah, if you have a low thyroid function, it can cause weight gain and resistance to weight loss. And when you lose weight, these petrochemical toxins, we call these persistent organic pollutants, they do interfere with thyroid function. Okay. All right, and then I'll go back to Kristen. I'm using the Carb Manager app and I've been following keto strictly for two weeks. I've only seen three pound difference in weight and feel very bloated. I'm wondering how to follow the keto diet with less dairy and uh, what food sources to eat that are higher in fat than protein. Also, I'm concerned about my sodium, cholesterol. Are these adverse future health issues from this diet? Now, so many questions. Let's see. So, <laughs> Let me go back to that. <laughs> so the weight issue, again, may be related to some of the things that I mentioned. Uh, it could be that you're not in ketosis. Um, it could be that... Um, you know, dairy is causing inflammation, mm -hmm. uh, and that, that may be something you need to stop uh, and do a dairy-free keto, and there's many books on it and ways to do it. I think uh, in terms of sodium, you typically lose sodium when you are on a ketogenic diet. That's why I said before, you, your insulin goes down, you don't retain sodium, you pee it out with lots of water, so you might need extra sodium. As far as cholesterol, it's fascinating. You see some people, I put people on, you know, basically a butter and coconut oil diet, which is high in saturated fat, and their cholesterol drops 100 points, their wow. triglycerides drops two, 300 points, their HDL goes up 30 points. Other people, different effects, maybe harmful effects. So you have to look at your own biology. We all are different. We all have genetic diversity. We all have individuality biochemically and metabolically. And it's really important to look at what your numbers are because not everybody responds the same. And so some people genetically don't respond as well to high-fat diets or may not be able to eat saturated fat. They may need more monounsaturated fat or other uh, polyunsaturated fats or fish oil. So you have to sort of look at how to modify this to the individual. Okay. And then uh, Carl wants to know, are the keto urine strips an accurate way to know what levels of ketosis we're in? No. <laughs> no. Okay. I explained about the blood is a yeah. much more accurate way. Okay, great. And then uh, what are, Jen wants to know what are some type, uh, tips and tricks to avoid the cravings and withdrawals from avoiding sugars and carbs. If I find this to be my biggest issue, my other question is how do you live in a home with others who do not follow the diet plan? And usually you don't, honestly. I mean, It's tough. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, best, the best tool for changing your lifestyle is peer support, is you know, group around you who's also doing it and is encouraging you. If everybody's saying, here, have a piece of cake, here, have a cookie, here, and it's all in the house, I mean, I basically make my home a, a, a safe zone. Like sure, I like ice cream and I like cookies and like everybody else, yeah. but, and I, and I don't give myself the chance to have that stuff in my house because if it's there, if I'm stressed or I'm tired or I have something happen, then I might go for it. Mm -hmm. And so I sort of typically will not do that. <laughs> and yeah. if I want to have chocolate, you know, if I have to drive five miles to get an ice cream, I'm probably not gonna do it. So I, th I think it's important for people to understand how to create their environment that protects them. 
Uh, also, if you are, are you know, not in that space, it's, it's really hard to do, so. And willpower. Yeah. yeah. The other part of the question was? Uh, let's see, I kind of missed that one. Well, let's see, I have Lisa. How important is water intake on the keto Extremely diet? Extremely important. If you don't drink enough water, you can get weak, tired, dehydrated, because uh, again, you lose a lot of water on the and keto diet. And you're taking a lot of salt, yeah. right? So mm -hmm. you need a lot of water. And then Adam, I'm a very lean guy. I'm overall pretty happy with my weight. If anything, I'd like to gain a little muscle. How do I know the right amount of carbs to consume for long-term maintenance? Well, again, it's not how much carbs, it's what carbs. So I, I always joke and say that the most important thing for long-term health and longevity is eating a lot of carbohydrates. And what I'm talking about is vegetables and some fruit, yeah. plant foods. Not necessarily tons of grains or tons of beans, which are okay in moderation, but are not staples because those are full of starch and over time, especially in our current society with everything else, can be a problem. Now, there are some people who do well with a lot of that and who have great metabolism and can eat whatever they want. I mean, I, I know people who can eat all the crap in the world and they never gain weight. They may not be fat, but they may not be metabolically healthy. Right. So it's important to know that. So I think, um, yeah, I think I would, I would uh, just check on the kind of carbohydrates you're eating. And again, if you're lean, healthy, and fit, you look at your metabolic parameters. The ketogenic diet probably isn't right for you. Um, but again, I would say the, a low glycemic diet is right for everyone. And then what I mean by that is a diet that doesn't raise your blood sugar and insulin, because that is the single thing that drives heart disease, cancer, type 2 diabetes, Alzheimer's, and much more. So it's really important to understand that concept. So you can eat a diet that's a wide variety of starches and, and carbs, but if it's low glycemic, if it's low glycemic, then it's okay. Some people in the world have diets that are 70, 80% carbs and have high levels of longevity. Why? Because they're eating whole foods, because they're eating non-starchy carbs, because they're not eating sugar. You know, a Coca-Cola is a carb, but so is broccoli. Yeah. They're very different. Right. So following up, Donna wants to know, what are you drinking? What am I drinking? I'm drinking a green <laughs> juice, which is basically uh, celery, cucumber, spinach, romaine lettuce, kale, lemon, and parsley with no fruit juice, because fruit juice is just like having soda. So this is very low in sugar, uh, and it's high in phytochemicals, got 800 milligrams of potassium and vitamin K and vitamin C, all kinds of good stuff. So, it's, so besides that, do you usually just drink water, I coffee, drink water. I drink water. Coffee, water. Black um, coffee. Uh, I put sometimes I put almond milk in it, so I'm going to make a bulletproof coffee. Okay. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I typically drink water. Water. Okay, good. <laughs> filtered no. water. Yeah, filtered water. And then uh, Tiffany, what about keto after gastric bypass? Is it safe? Uh, yeah, I think, uh, yes, I think many people fail gastric bypass. Half of all gastric bypasses fail because people, you know, haven't really changed their way they eat. I knew a guy who was a doctor who had a gastric bypass, lost 200 pounds, and then decided he could cheat by having M&Ms all day long. Oh. So he would just have huge bags of M&Ms and he'll eat little all the time. Instead of having a big meal, which would mess up his stomach, he had M&Ms. He gained back hundreds of pounds. Yeah. So yes, it can be very effective for people for maintenance. And people typically who get that big are carbohydrate intolerant. Then there's a large group of the population that is carbohydrate intolerant. Okay. And then Diane wants to know what would a dinner plate look like? If you can give us well, like a good my dinner plate, plate typically is three quarters vegetables. Okay. What kind of vegetables? Because I know there's non-starchy high... vegetables. Okay, so, so all no the corn. salad vegetables are fine. Okay. But not a lot of potatoes and and large starch, starchy veggies. So sometimes a little bit of sweet potato can be fine. If it's keto, you can have less things like winter squash and sweet potatoes, but green beans and all the broccoli family, all the lettuce stuff. You know, there's just any in any kind of non-starchy vegetable is fine. And then you have a small piece of protein, maybe you know the size of your palm, fish or grass-fed meat or, if you, or, or organic chicken. Uh, or you could use tempeh, which is high in protein or tofu uh, if you're vegetarian. Uh, and then you would eat a lot of fat with that. For example, you could put a lot of olive oil all over the vegetables. Mm -hmm. If you're uh, not allergic to dairy, you can have grass-fed ghee or butter uh, over your, your, um, your food. So I think it's very high in good quality fats. I add MCT, I'll, I'll have a fat shake in the morning. For example, uh, my shake might be nuts and seeds, which are also high in fat, um, would have uh, coconut oil. I might put MCT oil in there. I'll have avocado in there and I'll put it in with a bunch of berries and make a, make a smoothie. And that's what I call my fat shake. And then I'll have a fat salad for lunch, which would be a lot of salad greens. So I'll use arugula, which I like. But I don't use iceberg lettuce, that's not good. 
and I would put on nuts like pumpkin seeds toasted. I'd put olives, which are full of fat, and pumpkin seeds have fat. I'd put avocados, which have fat. I'd put olive oil, which has fat, and I'd have usually some fatty fish like sardines or, or herring or mackerel or, or salmon. And I would, that, that would be my fat salad. And, and that's sort of how you, you kind of use th these whole foods as a vehicle for different kinds of fats. Okay, so Aaron's actually talking about the starchy veggies and fruits and carbs, but do they have the same effect on you as grains? Uh, starchy These kind of carbs, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you take, you know, an heirloom Peruvian fingerling potato, probably okay. If you take a starchy Idaho Yukon potato, probably not okay. That's not how potatoes were evolved, and they're yeah. super and starchy. Fry it. Yeah, uh, the frying is bad, yeah. yeah. Uh, if you're eating, uh, you know, some black rice or buckwheat or quinoa, uh, you're probably okay. But if you're eating too much of that, you quickly will get out of ketosis because those are high in carbohydrates. But they're, for most people, they're fine. And beans, the same thing. You know, if you want to be in ketosis, it's going to be hard to eat a lot of beans. But you can have, uh, if you if you're, have metabolically sort of fixed yourself, sure, you know, you can have beans a, a, a every day and, uh, you know, half a cup of beans, a cup of beans, okay. Okay, great. And then again, uh, this is just a reminder for our audience, if you're interested in exploring the ketogenic diet as a treatment option for your medical condition, it's best to consult with your physician. And then Debbie wants to uh, know, well, she says, hi, Cleveland Clinic. I'm a patient in your functional medicine department. Hello. I need to jumpstart again. What do you recommend? You got the floor. <laughs> I, what, well, what's wrong with you? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I guess I mean start a ketogenic diet, right? Well, I mean, not necessarily. It's not good for everything. Yeah. So know. so what do you what do you uh, what do you say for Debbie? She wants to jumpstart. Well, I think you know I've created something called the ten day detox diet, which is our renew diet, right. and uh, that is essentially fifty percent fat. So it's not ketogenic, but it's high in fat. It's very low in carbs and starchy carbs. It's high in plant foods, vegetables, nuts and seeds, and fruit. Uh, and that can be very effective to helping people jumpstart their biology. Now, Sophia says, um, I've tried the detox diet. It is great, but so hard to keep us especially uh, staying carb-free. Any tips? Well, what's your goal? I mean, if, yeah. you're, if you're healthy, I mean, you don't have to. I, I think it's important to sort of get to that sweet spot where you feel healthy, where you're biologically healthy, where you're sort of finding what that sweet spot in your diet is. Like I said, I don't think most people should stay on a keto diet ketogenic diet forever. I think it's therapeutic and it should be used as a medical treatment, mm -hmm. but not for everybody. And then Cheryl, um, anyone that cannot or should not follow this diet? Yeah, of course. You know, if you're a kid, if you, unless you're obviously type 2 diabetic, which many kids are, yeah. and if you're very thin, if you, you know, have eating disorders, if you have uh, certain metabolic issues that I think make it risky, uh, I would I would be very careful. Okay, and then Kathy wants to know any recommendations for fiber, please. How necessary is fiber? Fiber is essential, especially in a ketogenic diet. So I like acacia fiber. You can use resistant starches like potato starch, like plantain starch. Uh, there's various supplements you can take that are fiber supplements. Uh, glucomannan is a great starch. So these have no calorie source, but they're high in carbohydrate content. So, but they're very low in what we call net carbohydrate content. Meaning if you take the fiber, that it doesn't really raise your blood sugar, doesn't get absorbed, feeds the good bacteria in your gut. Really important. We need probably you know, 30 to 50 grams of fiber in our diet every day, and we get about 8 wow. to 15 on average. Wow. And hunter-gatherers had 100 to 150. They ate 800 species of plants. Wow. That's amazing. Well, Terry um, says, Dr. Hyman, I think you should clarify a keto diet versus functional keto diet. Folks seem to be confusing the keto diet full of cheese and bacon with functional keto diet, which is more about healthy fats. Yeah. So no bacon? <laughs> I mean, it's not, it's not the top of the list of health foods. Okay. No. I, th I think we, we really need to understand quality. So you can have a poor quality ketogenic diet by having refined vegetable oils, deep fried foods. This is not healthy. You can eat a bunch of dairy not necessarily healthy. So eating a high quality diet is important across the spectrum of any diet, whether it's Mediterranean or low fat or high fat or keto, it's really the key take home message. It's real food, whole foods, fresh food, uh, frozen's okay, but eating food that's in an unprocessed state is critical. Okay, now Linz wants to know about alcohol and keto. What do you recommend? Well, I think you want low carbohydrate alcohol. If you eat a beer, I mean, drink a beer, we used to call that a barley sandwich in Canada where I went to medical school, 
uh, it's very high in carbohydrates. Uh, if you have wine, less so, but still. So 10 ounces of beer, five ounces of wine, and one ounce of hard liquor, that's sort of all the same equivalent in terms of you know, its effect. So I think having one ounce of one ounce of hard liquor is probably better than having a 10 ounce beer. Yeah. Uh, and so tequila, things like that are fine. And then, um, Again, it's the dose that matters. So should women going through menopause do keto the same way younger women do? Again, it depends on the person. I don't think it's the right diet for everybody who goes through menopause. There may be a lot of really thin women who are healthy and fit. They don't really need to do that. Yeah. I think uh, they're, they're, uh, there's really an emphasis here on personalization. So it really is not, should menopause women be on keto? No, the answer is who should be on keto and when and for what. Okay, and then Leona, um, can you talk about keto drinks and supplements? Um, there are keto drinks. You can get keto shakes, for example, that are made of whey protein, MCT oil. There are supplements that we talked about earlier. I think the data is out on these exogenous ketones and how they affect you. The shakes may be more food-based, which are, I think, better. Mm -hmm. So I think it really depends on what you're looking to do. And then uh, Baradwaja wants to know, is it, keto, is, is it keto diet? Is it harmful for uh, your kidneys? Uh, no. Uh, in fact, uh, like I said, it, it can help reverse kidney failure. We've seen many patients who have kidney insufficiency who change their diets and really help improve it. High protein diets can be harmful, but keto is not high protein. Okay, speaking of protein, uh, Marnie, my nutritionist recommended 90 grams of protein after my gastric sleeve surgery. Is this too high or proper for keto diet? Well, it depends. So, you know, if you're 500 pounds, 90 grams of protein is probably not enough. If you're 100 pounds, it's probably too much. Yeah. So it really is, is depending on what your protein needs are, depending on your level of activity and your overall goals. So typically we've been told to eat between 0.8 and 1.2 grams of protein per kilo. Kilo is 2.2 pounds. So for the average person, it is about, you know, 70 to 90 grams of protein. Uh, if you're an athlete, sometimes more. So it really depends. Okay. And then Laura, can you address uh, what someone who's strict keto and still not losing weight might be doing wrong? I have hypothyroid and uh, postmenopausal female. Well, I think that's it. What are the other factors that are going on? Is it your thyroid? Is it hormone levels? Is it your gut flora? Is it environmental toxins? Is it stress? Is it uh, sleep? I mean, there's a lot of reasons people don't actually lose weight. For yeah. example, if you have sleep apnea, you're not going to lose weight. Right, right. Um, Sherilyn, uh, what's the difference between keto and protein-sparing diet? A protein-sparing modified fast is essentially shakes that are um, higher in protein, very low in calories. It's basically a liquid diet that can be profoundly effective in helping people reverse metabolic conditions, but it's not sustainable. You're not going to be on a calorie, severely calorie-restricted shake diet your whole life. So the question is, how do you eat in a way long-term, it's going to help you. If you go back to eating the way you were before you were on a protein sparing modified fast, you're going to end up with the same metabolic problems. So it's about understanding how to switch to a whole foods diet. And I think a ketogenic diet can often have the same benefit or more. I call it, uh, you know, basically uh, having a gastric bypass without the pain of surgery, vomiting, and malnutrition. Oh, gosh. <laughs> okay, and Terry wants to know, can you discuss fruits? What types of fruit can I eat and should not be eating? Well, I think it's interesting. I think, you know, if you look at the data overall, people who eat more fruit are healthier on long term and do better, even diabetics. But I, I think those are population studies and there may be other confounding factors. Other people who eat fruit are probably healthier in general and they're not having chips. So maybe the other factors that are causing this. I, I have had patients who have continuous glucose monitors where they have 24 seven track of their blood sugar. And they tell me when they eat certain fruits, they see their blood sugar just goes off the chart, like a plum, <laughs> who knew? So I think it really depends on the person. If you're highly carbohydrate intolerant, if you're severe type 2 diabetic, no, you can't eat a ton of fruit until you fix your metabolism. But the goal isn't to be restricted your whole life. The goal is to get to be metabolically resilient, to fix things so that they work better, so you can function and have more, we call it metabolic degrees of freedom, more flexibility. In other words, if you're a marathon runner, you can eat as much as you want, you're not going to gain weight, right? Because you have create a lot of resilience and flexibility. If you're a someone who's fairly carbohydrate intolerant, you look at a bagel and you just think about eating carbs, your insulin goes up, you literally can gain weight. So you have to figure out how to get to that place of resilience. And that's what functional medicine is. It's a way to help people. And our functional keto program for those people who want to try it is a very powerful set of tools and also instruction. It's a six week program. It's done in a group. People are together helping each other and it's super powerful. We only have a few spots left, but 
uh, in this round, but it's, it's uh, and they're filling up fast. So if you're interested, give us a shout at, uh, at the Center for Functional Medicine at Cleveland Clinic. And I'll tell them it is ccf.org slash fmketo. So if they want to sign up now. Functionalmedicine.org. Cleveland Clinic. CCF.org slash FM Keto. Okay, Just got it. We're straight That's there. Easy. Okay, I'm going to give you one more question before I let you go. Okay. Um, Maeve, sorry if I butchered your name. What about the rebound effect? If weight loss is quick, weight <clears> gain <throat> is fast. How does someone keep the weight off after this diet? Well, I think, again, is it's, there, it's, an it's, it's, there is an after. Okay. It's, it's, you know, probably staying more low carbohydrate, not necessarily keto range, which is less than 30 to 50 grams, but probably less than 100 grams. And, and having a whole foods, high quality diet. If you go from any diet and you go back to what you were doing, you're gonna create the same metabolic story. So you have to learn how to eat well for the long term. Great. All right, well, that's all the time I have for today. But before we go, if you're interested uh, in learning more about the Center for uh, Functional Medicine Ketogenics Program, download your free guide at ccf.org slash keto intro. And anything else you wanna end with no, today? No, that's great. We'd love no? to see you at the center. We'll help you out. and. Uh, there's enough people out there who would benefit from it that I think is going to make a big difference. This concludes this Cleveland Clinic Health Essentials podcast. Thank you for listening. Join us again soon.